Hello, everyone. Yes, it is Friday, October 7, 2016, and this is your Game Life Podcast. We are actually recording this on Friday, October 7, 2016, um, in the, the morning, and I will uh, be hastily producing this and getting it up to you so you can have it for your drive time uh, commute back home on this fine Friday, heading into a uh, fine October weekend. Uh, the, the gang is all here uh, because here with me in this Google Hangout, um, we have a wired contributor, some renown. Hi, I am Jake Muncie. Nice to be here. Hello, Jake. And finally, from uh, we have Times, Times' very own game critic extraordinaire. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jake. It's Matt Peckham uh, from Time Magazine. How, y- how y'all doing? You know, I'm all right. I'm good. I'm good. It's Friday, Sorry. which is nice. Jake muting the microphone and drinking the delicious Coca-Cola, <laughs> the holy water of the South. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's what it's called. It's what it is. Um, so we have a action-packed show. Um, Jake, uh, I know that you have played Gears of War 4. In fact, you even reviewed Gears of War 4. I know yes. you've played a little bit of Mafia 3. Matt, I know you're deep into Mafia 3 as of today, which is available today. Um, and I have I have questions. I, I, I'd love to know what that's like, because, of course, there were no reviews of Mafia 3. Um, nope. They did not send out any advanced review copies at all, so everybody is just sort of like, well, what's it like? I don't know. Um... Uh, I, meanwhile, have been playing, oh, gee, I mean, I've been playing Paper Mario, I've been playing uh, PlayStation VR, which, Matt, I know you've been doing that as well, um, and I just came back from Oculus Connect on Wednesday, and uh, I played Lone Echo, which is the which was the big announcement of the show It's um, as far as games go, and it's this new game from Ready at Dawn, uh, the demo, I loved it, absolutely loved it, so just tons and tons and tons to talk about today, um, but I don't want to forget in all of this excitement, um, to plug my book. Uh, <laughs> so I just want to make sure that I get that out of the way so I don't forget it at the end. My book, my old book, I wrote it in 2004. It's called Power Up, How Japanese Video Games Gave the World an Extra Life. Um, it is out on October 19th. Um, I, I did hear that somebody was able to get an extra co- or get a, um, a, a leaked copy from a bookstore, an independent bookstore in New York City. So copies are already leaking out. Um, it's available on October 19th. If you buy it on Amazon, it has release day delivery, so you're not going to be you know, waiting around or anything like that. If you go to Amazon, I have an author page, and it lists all the different events that I'm going to do in L.A., San Francisco, and Portland. Um, and if anything else gets added to that, I'll, I'll add it to the Amazon author page. Um, as I said, it's an old book with new material, um, and so I, just, it would, I would just be remiss if I wasn't plugging that at the beginning of this podcast. Also, hi, everyone. Um, I'm Chris Kohler, and it's nice to meet you. Um, so <laughs> let's 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 just jump right in. I mean, I, this is this is really going to be the the what have you been playing podcast? We've been playing a lot. Um, Matt, I, I want to start with you. Um, Mafia Three. It's it's out huh. today. You've played how much? Oh, make me do the hard one first. Um, yeah. How much? How much? Uh, about half a dozen, six, seven, eight hours so far. I'm I'm through. There's like okay. a pro. There's like a prologue or a preamble, and then there is a continued prologue or preamble, and then you're sort of finally let off the leash and you're running around the city. And I'm 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 through all of that. 
And I tend to play these things a little slower. Like I will walk in an open world game. I will avoid the cars because I want to see what they're doing. What's the world look like? What, how do the characters interact? How fake sure. is it? Because it's going to be fake. We know it's going to be, you know, it's a sandbox game. It, it, it's yeah. in the tradition of GTA. We know a lot of it's going to be silly if you start poking too deeply. So I'm always curious about that. They've done, they've done a pretty good job. It, it's no better than uh, than you'd expect from from a Rockstar game today, as far as the world building goes. But it is very interesting because it's set in a pastiche of New Orleans called New New Bordeaux, and so the look of the game is quite interesting. It's quite different. It's not like any city that's it's, not, it's very colorful. There's Mardi Gras nods. And There's, what is the if I can interrupt? What is the era in which it is set? 1968. 1968. Thank you, Jake. Mm-hmm. Okay, go on. Sorry. Oh, no, no, that's, that's okay. The, the protagonist, uh, Lincoln Clay, I think yes. is his name, is, is a, right. I, I, think, I think it's, correct me if I'm wrong, um, either of you, but I believe it's correct to, to refer to him as a, I think, a biracial post-Vietnam. He's home from Vietnam. Uh, he is, um, he, was, he was kind of a little bit involved with, with some mob-like activity before he left, and, and then he comes back and he's involved a little bit again. With, this is a crime story, so, I mean, it's not, nobody's going to come out looking you know, like a rose, at least that's my assumption um, as I play. But he he is maybe of the protagonists in, the, in these crime sprees that we would tend to think of as a little bit more of an anti-hero, right? So, he's, so he has all of these interesting qualities. And then as you take control of him, you can do things like go into the game settings. And I found this interesting. And, and in the actual options, take me- melee takedowns, which is something you do, and switch them to non-lethal. So, so, hmm. so it isn't even a gameplay thing. You can just force the game to not let you kill anybody. Interesting. Um, in, in, at the melee level, yeah. I, I was. I thought that was. I've never seen that in a game before. But yeah. Anyway, so far, I'll just say this really quick, and then I'd love to hear uh, Jake your thoughts. It's. It, it takes. It, it. It starts with kind of an, an Assassin's Creed esque disclaimer at the beginning. If everybody plays Assassin's Creed, they know that there's that disclaimer at the beginning that says something like, this game has been designed by, you know, designers from multiple races, creeds, oh, really? faiths, backgrounds. There's something like that at the beginning of, of Mafia 3. I don't know that I, how I feel about those things in games, but they're, they're trying, uh, they're trying to say we're about to deal with, you know, racism and any number of other isms, and it's going to get pretty bad. And we, you know, we're, we, we just want you to know we're trying to do it earnestly or, or, or as honestly as possible. I, that doesn't let them off the hook if they, if they deal with it badly or poorly, of course. But that's, so that's there. That's kind of interesting. Uh, the, the game itself, the, the atmosphere, it takes hard turns into the dark. I'll just say that. It's, oh, really? It's, it's, it's the most engaged rightly you know i don't know yet what i think about how well it's doing it but it's certainly the most engaged with those kinds of questions racism um i don't know what other <laughs> things i'm going to see but i'm expecting to see them um it's, can you, can it's you give an example i mean this is probably the first a lot of people are really even hearing about this game from an independent source i mean can you go into any kind of example of a scene or oh boy i you know i, I uh, without using racial slurs on the podcast yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Jake. Yeah, I have played yeah. the game for like maybe hour, hour and a half. I'm still knee deep in a long prologue, but um, yeah, the game is very interested in tackling race, and and Lincoln is a member of you know a distinctly black 
um, segment of the mob, and that racial dynamic is very important. And my, and and one thing that struck me just in the first mission, okay, you are going to rob a a a federal reserve bank, and um, you are with this other white guy, and you go there and you are pretending to be guards and um the other guards the real guards start start complaining when they see you because they because the the government hired a black man and they think that is ridiculous and like they bring <laughs> your partner um and have him start doing work and they're like you can take these things out of the truck and you can come behind us and carry them and so yes the game is really dedicated to depicting the you know casual offhand racism and depicting that as a as an important aspect of the crime world that you're a part of and there's a thing, Jake. Jake's, I think that's exactly right. And there's, I, you're making, you're reminding me of a thing in that scene at the outset. Mm-hmm. Before that starts to happen, your partner in this heist, who you're, you're both posing as government agents, your partner is white. And as you're about to go in, he says something like, "Hey, you know, I'm going to probably be racist to you in here. Don't, don't. I mean, in so many words, he says it in a right. different way. He says, he says, don't take it personally. That's just the way it is. And uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's very, it's unsettling. It's hard. You get really. I don't want to say that there's a like a Django Unchained thing here that's that's about to happen, but you your sympathies for the protagonist when you see him at the uh, just constantly this barrage. I just wonder, I wonder what it's going to do, what it, what what it might do. Um, I mean, I'm feeling emotionally very angry <laughs> as I'm uh-huh. playing it. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Wow, you know, I mean, this is just really as a guy who doesn't, you know, in the world has not had to deal with with these these kinds of things. I just find it interesting. Will it be, I mean, it's not the same thing. It's not even remotely the same thing, but it, it, I just find it interesting that I'm having that emotional response to mm-hmm. it. And I wonder, I wonder how other people are going to react to it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, when the game makes the turn, because it is a mafia game toward, you know, being very dark and violent, I'm interested to see how that's going to affect my relationship to the violence and to the violence <laughs> that, Lincoln is doing because in a lot of, in a lot of these games they're sort of designed in a way where you're not really supposed to sympathize with the character you're playing. You're supposed to enjoy being like say to Tommy Versetti and GTA Vice City. You're supposed to enjoy being him, but you're not supposed to really like him. I don't think. And <laughs> and I think bringing these real world issues into it and looking honestly, which so far the game I think. The, the plotting and the writing has been excellent. Um, I'm interested to see, you know, how that's going to affect how I relate to this protagonist and the inevitable, you know, really violent things he will get up yeah. to. I, I should I should just throw this in there to, for the people that are listening and wondering what the what the game's like. Um, uh, I I've seen I'm seeing a couple of of early like just sort of general reactions suggesting that the gameplay may be a little 
a little bit less interesting. That's not my response so far. I mean, it's it's very basic so far, right? It's 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 kind of a third person. There's cover based shooter. There's some sneaking involved. You can you can take people down um, stealthily or violently. Uh, you're not always required to do violence. I find it to be at least as so far at least as competent as Grand Theft Auto Five was in that regard. Like I'm not I'm not seeing any notable deficiencies. It's very easy to control. It's very easy to get into and adapt to. Um, so yeah, I don't know, Jake, if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah I, I, I I mean I will say that the <clears throat> gunplay feels a bit janky, but mm-hmm. I did just come off a week of playing Gears of War four, so that probably uh. has. So, <laughs> Has something to do with that because that's the game that invented this type of gunplay, more or less. So, that's like the gold standard, right there. Right, so. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, I have not played nearly enough to have any strong strong opinions. And if I offered any, that would be dishonest. But I am very interested about in what I played so far. I should add this too. Like it looks like what it's setting itself up to be. You have bur- you know different sections of this of this New Orleans pastiche that you're going to eventually try and take back from mm-hmm. the mafia. That's I won't say. I don't want to say too much more about the plot there. But the uh, the way it looks like it's going to do it is you have all of these. You have a kill list and you have assets and you have to go through. Um, it looks like you're going to be trying to shake down people. There's going to be an informant related relationships here that are going to unlock different things, increase your income. There's a whole sort of a mob rising through the, what do they call those charts that you see in uh, uh, where you have all the string and the yarn attached to photos and stuff, you know, the police, mm-hmm. that, yeah. that kind of, that kind of a thing going on here that's going to tie into directly to the gameplay that looks, um, looks really interesting. Well, mm-hmm. I will say this. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how comfortable I am with this. I don't want to sound prudish here, but they, uh, one of the collectible things is Playboy magazines <laughs> and, yes, and the play, the play, the Playboys are fully like viewable. They're not just the covers. You can go open oh, them really? up and read them and, and see Wait, the, really? Really? see the completely, you know, huh. nude characters and such. So characters. Actually I people. have not. Wait, I'm sorry. Is it, is it scans of vintage 1960s Playboy or is it in fiction? Um, it's actual what? scans of, 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 I could I could put it up on the screen and flip the computer around if you, <laughs> you want to see because <laughs> I have it up on my TV right now. Or the, We're the, good. The mission, I think, so but that's yeah. really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, isn't that? I don't know how I feel. Anyway, about it's the it. entire <laughs> issue. No, no, no. I'm, I'm really interested. In this. <laughs> the entire issue of Playboy with the you know dirty jokes and interviews with politicians and everything. Yeah. Or it's several. It's at least several pages, including okay. I think the centerfold. But there, there's more than just huh. the centerfold. There's like other stuff. I think one of like the art, some of the articles, if I'm remembering correctly, what I was seeing. Wow. I was just trying to figure huh. out what the purpose was of uh, this, other than titillation. You know, is this right. just titillation again? Yeah. Here, is this how they do that? I so. think so. Look, if you're going to have you know ridiculous collectibles, it might as well be full issues of Playboy. That's kind of hilarious, though. <laughs> yeah, it's remember all those women are dead. Oh God. Oh jeez. Okay. Um, On that note, so. <laughs> <laughs> ruining, ruining it for everybody. So so yeah. So so far so far, uh, I would say. Oh oh, I should uh, one last thing, and then I'll shut up about it. The guy yeah. who did the writing for this, I didn't realize this until this morning because I'm reading this and I'm going, or I'm playing this. And I'm going. This is so well done. What is going on here? Because I played the last the, the the first game, and then you know the it, it was okay, and blah blah blah. Bill Harms. William Harms. Chris, do you know that name? He, he, I used to work for him. PC Gamer, senior editor, 2002 oh, really? to 2004. He, okay. wrote a gra- he wrote a graphic novel set in Nebraska called Abel, which I was 
big into back then because I'm from Nebraska originally and uh, and it's it deals with racism and all this stuff. He's a he's a really really good writer. Um I was startled to find out that he was the lead writer on this yeah. game. So and yeah. another one of the top writers is a guy named Charles Webb who is a who's also, you know, a game a game critic and all those things. So yeah, the writer pedigree here is actually pretty high. It turns out when you actually hire writers for your games, it goes pretty well. <laughs> Amen. I'll raise, a, <laughs> I'll raise a cup of joe to that. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. Mafia. Well, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm interested to play it only because, like, you know, again, with what's happening with AAA video games right now, like, yeah. you know, it used to be there was a new uh, Grand Theft Auto knockoff every month. And now it's like, oh, um, huh, there hasn't really been a, uh, you know, a Grand Theft Auto alike in, in a while. Yeah, um, they take millions to make now. Right, so. exactly. And it's like, there's, it's, it's really interesting that somebody's doing one. It's like, maybe I should check this out and see what it's all about. Yeah, I think you'd like, because there, there are those people that are like, oh, God, GTA V, I, I, how am I ever going to play that? It's too big. There's, the other thing that I like about this is there's a documentary-style thing. That they're, that they go, they're going to people in the future, flashing forward right from the beginning and interviewing mm-hmm. them, and they're reflecting on these things that, that happened, and you, you're getting the sense that horrible things are about to happen. If you want to have a – I mean, That's it feels cool. I like that. very, very yeah. well done. Very well done. It's good. I like it. That's really interesting. Okay, yeah, I definitely want to play this. All you have, to, all you had to say was um, inventive, uh, you know, narrative twist. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm in. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I want it. Where's my copy? Where is this? <laughs> when did you get yours? Today. Oh right. Yeah. What do you What do you both think yesterday. about that? That they they didn't hand out the yeah. uh, review copies. I got until... mine yesterday, and of okay. course, because I downloaded it on PlayStation, I didn't get to play it until like midnight yesterday. So <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So we don't know why. Nobody knows why uh, they didn't. I, I, some people were speculating it was you know obviously they, you always speculate it's because the game isn't as good as or but a lot of people were speculating it's because they were trying to somehow sort of head off early criticism about the content or something but I, who knows it's all speculation yeah why they didn't give us copies earlier who can say <laughs> who knows i mean honestly no, i mean look it's it doesn't even i don't even know if it even reflects on the quality of the game anymore and i'm i just feel like i feel like it is this realization that reviews don't matter that that day one reviews they're not going to help you and they can only, or that not that they don't matter. They can only hurt you. They're not going to help because the the pre order thing has been going on for six months. You know, you've you've got this massive you know group of people who have pre ordered. The marketing machine is off to the races, and reviews like good reviews at this point would just confirm for people that the game is good. But people have already made the decision to buy. So. But a bad review could could tear down all of these pre-orders that you have if people don't pick the game up or they cancel their pre-orders. It's like it's just it I, it, it almost just feels like the decision has been made that these that these things are not a good idea, um, and it may be the case. I'm not really sure, but I think yeah. we're going to see this more and more often. I really do. Fun story. I was really excited for Assassin's Creed Unity. I thought the French Revolution was a really interesting setting. I was prepared to buy uh, it, to buy it day one. Then mm-hmm. reviews dropped. I have never played that game. Right. 
Oh, and I, <laughs> so, I, I am, I am so. Yeah. I had to play it and, and review it, and I am so with you, Jake, because <laughs> I, I thought, I thought, hey, they're going to their. I mean, this is Ubisoft, right? This is where they're right. from. This is France. Yeah. This is this is going to be like the most lovingly crafted, beautiful game, and then it was just like the worst. Oh one. no! Yeah. So it's very pretty. Yeah. <laughs> no, yep. no, no, the Notre Dame yeah, sequence was a lot of fun. And I think they just said that there's not even going to be an Assassin's Creed game in 2017. Yeah, they pushed it back a couple of years, I think, which yeah. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about because I think they're going to. Sorry, nobody. Sorry, nobody said, nobody said it, but uh, there's some speculation. It's somebody asked Ubisoft, and they said we're not necessarily going to do that. So there could there could be one next year. I don't really know. I'm not sure what it is they did. Did they just push? Because remember, with Assassin's Creed, not to get too off track here, you know, the last game, Syndicate, which I came back to after an extended multi-game absence, um, mm-hmm. picks up the, the meta-narrative, which is the return of um, Juno, right? The, the, one, of the, one of the before people, one of the, the sort of the Roman gods, goddesses, right? right. Um, trying to manipulate events in the present so that she couldn't um, destroy the world. I don't know. So they've got to they've got to finish that up in the in this meta narrative that's going through all these games. But then after Syndicate um, and after sort of declining reviews, declining sales, da 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 da, they they pushed Assassin's Creed back. And I don't know what they're doing. Did they just decide to give the game that they were going to make another year rather than have to crank it out in a year? Did they just decide to give it a break for a year and they're going to start right back up again with? same old engine, the same old Assassin's Creed, just set in a different place with a couple of tweaks? Or did they come in, cancel everything, and say, we're starting Assassin's Creed from scratch? Because this annualized take on Assassin's Creed, this, this past, these, these annual pastiches, these games that were made from you know 50 different studios all over the globe and then kind of carefully sewn together on creaky old engines where the same bugs happen. I think I pointed out I started playing Assassin's Creed Syndicate. I fell through the floor. Just, just like you fall through the floor in every other Assassin's Creed game. So I don't. So I'm, I'm really interested to find out what happens. Did they just? Did they, are they just going on with the same kind of, you know, kind of trying to put band aids on this broken thing and can keep doing it, or do they burn it all to the ground and starting again? Um, not having one in 2017, yeah, that that might suggest the latter. Yeah. Um, that might suggest you know salt the earth and and start again. So we'll see. Anyway, that was getting us way too off topic because we still have to talk about Gears of War, the fourth. It's good. I like it. Oh yeah, yeah. It is. It's it. It does a really good job of feeling just different enough while not departing significantly from you know being a Gears of War game. Oh, right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like the narrative is a bit. Is, is a bit smaller, a bit more light, and the characters are a bit more written for the most part, except for the main protagonist, JD Phoenix, who is a wooden plank of a human being. Okay. And he's <laughs> not great. But, um, like, everyone around him is interesting. And, like, it. <laughs> yeah. And. And, like, the visual style has more of an emphasis on, like, color and 
grandeur and not just like grandeur in destruction and grays and browns, which is what the earlier games did, but like there's a more interesting visual style and on and along with that, you know, it plays like Gears of War's always played and it's a good and satisfying and nasty in a really interesting way. And <laughs> um so yeah, I had a really nice time with it and it's like if you don't like that kind of game if that game doesn't scratch any kind of itch for you gears of war 4 isn't gonna be up your alley but if you if you did enjoy the earlier gears of war games or you 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 know want a game that is not like dumb dead rock stupid but still lets you break a lot of things i think you will enjoy it <laughs> I, would you would, oh, go on, Matt. I was just going to say, I'm having an interesting... For, to me, it's interesting. It's probably boring to everybody else. But to me, interesting reaction to the game. Because initially, uh-huh. initially my reaction to it was kind of this, this... Wow, I'm really not enjoying this. I don't know why. Because I really liked the last Gears game that I really loved was Gears 2. That was my favorite uh-huh. of the series. It's real good. But I'm finding that, I'm, that I'm maybe my relationship to the Gears games is a little bit like those, those um, exercise bikes with the, with the wheels that uh, you have to kind of crank up and keep, you know, to get going really, really fast. Um, they're, uh-huh. they're really hard to get going, but once they get going, that's kind of the response that I'm having because I kind of I flipped it up to insane difficulty. And I do that on purpose because I love the thing I love most about the Gears games is dying and retrying like mm-hmm. 25 times because mm-hmm. every single time it's like a little different. And I love that in these games because the shooting, the, the, the ballistics of this game are unmatched. I mean, Halo has nothing on the Gears games to me. I mean, I would much rather play a Gears game than Halo for the mm-hmm. ballistic fidelity and the, the, the tactical scenarios and just all that stuff and the cover-based mechanics. I'm just, that's more my, my wheelhouse. As I've been playing it more and more and more, I got to that scene toward the end of Act 1, Jake, you know, where, mm-hmm. the, where you have to defend the the uh what is it the colony and they're just yeah. dropping all the little robots and things there's a scene where wow. they just keep sending wave after wave and you have to set up you know you have to keep setting up these little resource based things like machine guns and you can pick whether you have a machine gun or a barricade and blah 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 mm-hmm. and i it started to click for me when i finally when i when i was playing through that um they it is consummately well made i mean there's nothing else in a third person shooter that is as well designed in my view is the Gears series. Yeah. But I, I find it takes me a long time now to get interested in the game. I think it's maybe that I, you start out and you're, I don't know, would, what do you think about the intro? The intro to the game just felt kind of dull to me. It took, yeah. like, felt like a while. I absolutely agree that, agree that it takes the game a little while to, to really find its footing and to find the way to slot the player in. Like there's this prologue section that basically has you playing scenarios from the earlier games, and that is a nice little tutorial section, and like, hey, it's been a while. I'm Gears of War. How are you doing? (laughs) But, um, like, it's not all that interesting. And so, after that, for the next couple acts, you face a bunch of, like, vaguely comical, murderous robots, and it feels like a sequel to Sega's Binary Domain, <laughs> if anybody's ever ever played that. And I think that is a blast, but it, but it takes a little while 
to find its rhythm. But, uh, but yeah. I worried because, like, I agree with you again. JD is, is wooden, but all of his peers, thank goodness, are, are, mm-hmm. are interesting. So you, you can kind of bounce soundboard off of them. But I just felt like uh, uh, it was just taking a really long time for me to understand why I was even doing this. We're going to go raid this thing. What's really going on here? Right. Um, not that the Gears games have ever been, you know, like, tributed for their deep insightful, you know, politically nuanced narrative or anything like that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, once I got past that, once I got to the end of that sequence of act one and then kind of started into act two, I it's picked up for me. And I have a yeah. feeling that now when I f- finally finish it, playing on insane is not the kind of thing you do in a day. At no, least if you're me, not. if you're me, <laughs> some people can. Um, anyway, when I finally finish it, I have a feeling I might be, uh, and, and I'm probably I'll review it at that point. I'll probably be very happy if it continues yeah. as it's been going. So. Speaking of uh, the Xbox, mm-hmm. was just looking at looking at Twitter. Not that I'm not paying attention, but I'm Twitter <laughs> looking 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 at the Xbox Twitter account. No, I'm looking at um, it's uh, Shannon Loftus, who's a GM of Microsoft Studios Publishing. Oh, sure. Um, just tweeted, just tweeted this, uh, and I and I I had meant to talk about this at some point on the podcast. Uh, just a reminder, she tweets, ReCore, ReCore for the Xbox One, uh, ReCore has a free 30-minute trial available for you to try the game out. Play for 30 minutes and make up your own mind. Um, let, me, let me go back. ReCore, <laughs> it's by Armature Studios, uh, made up of the core people who started, who, who created the first, uh, you know, created the Metroid Prime games. Um, in, in partnership with Keiji Inafune's company, Con- Concept. Uh, Keiji Inafune being one of the creators of Mega Man. I played the first uh, couple hours of ReCore, okay? Um, it is a, it's a third-person, um, kind of like Metroid X Zelda X Mega Man Legends. I mean, precisely what you'd want from these people. Um, you know, third-person action-adventure game exclusive to the Xbox One. I played the first couple hours of it, and I was just like, oh my god, this game is so good. Like, I love this. This is so much fun. The controls are great. The characters are great. That Everything about this is just phenomenal so far. Platforming, double jumps, all this fun stuff. Wow, they nailed it. That's great. Traversal just feels so good. Um... If you were to play this game for 30 minutes to play a 30-minute free demo, I think you'd come away with the exact same feeling as me. Then you'd be like, wow, what an amazing video game. Um, but I am glad that I... Uh, so basically, I finished playing those few hours and immediately went to Tokyo Game Show. Mm-hmm. And during Tokyo Game Show, when I couldn't play the game anymore, all the reviews come out, and they are unanimous in saying... This game starts out great and then totally falls apart in the back half because it sends you essentially on a collection quest and it's really, really frustratingly difficult to find all the collectibles. Um, they're, they're too well hidden. They're not really puzzles. They're just super well hidden in the environment. You have to collect tons and tons of collectibles just to unlock doors to get to the next parts of the game. And it becomes a slog. And it becomes, now it's like, why don't you replay this level you've played, you know, a bunch of times already? 
you know, so you can just collect the collectible at the end and it's like it's timed and it's a pain in the butt. And I saw this and I'm like, man, what a disappointment. Mm-hmm. So when I see this idea of you can, and, and this is also coupled with um, Phil Spencer, uh, the head of, you know, the Xbox uh, party over there at Microsoft, um, said in an interview with GameSpot recently that he thinks that some of these reviews, not really mentioning anybody specifically, that some of the reviews out there, they give them, uh, they give these games deliberately super low scores um, for clicks. They give them super low scores because they, because they want to get clicks on their articles and that this does not represent their, their true feelings or does not, is not, does not serve as a qualitative assessment of the, of the game. Oh, that's just so nonsensical. I don't even know what to say to that. It's ridiculous for so many different reasons. Like, there, there are so many independent reasons why that's not true. One, I've never met any reviewer who does that. That's just – that's not a thing. It doesn't make sense. This is our job. And why would I give, like, misleading or dishonest evaluations of a game when it is my livelihood – to you know, do otherwise, and that's also, your reputation on the line. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's all you have. Yes, and and also, if you go look at like actual metrics of you know games like a Metacritic, God forbid, or whatever else, very few games like period score below like a, a six or a five out of ten, especially from major. From major studios, we're yeah. really nice to your games. No one ever gets like, <laughs> no right. one ever gets like below a six from you know Polygon or wherever else. That like very rarely happens unless your game doesn't work. We, so we, like, I don't know what you're complaining about. We used to talk about this. Uh, like, I can remember, I don't know, ten, twelve years ago on over on a forum uh, at a site called Quarter to Three, run by a guy named Tom Chick, who's Who's known for yeah, using yeah. the full range, mm-hmm. um, and we, I think I think pretty much most people are have leaned in that direction. But there were at the time that he was doing it, there weren't a lot of people that were doing it. I mean, you would, I would go to PC Gamer in two thousand two. No offense, PC Gamer, but I would I would go to give something a low score, and they would say to me, you know, can we can we be a little higher on that? Does it really have to be? And it's the seven to nine thing. It's the A to F thing. It's the idea that anything below a sixty is failing. You know, it's just it's a misuse of the mathematics. Um, uh, most people, a five is should be average. A five should be average. That means that you made a pretty decent game if you got a five out of ten. That's mm-hmm. the way it's supposed to work. But unfortunately, people see five and they assume a miserable, you know, total failure. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. we so, do the same thing when we gave out numbers to you know video games, and it's like, okay, well, you know what? We're going to use the whole scale here. Yeah. Um, and we're going to give out, and, you know, and sometimes that means that big productions are going to get not even fours and fives, but like sixes and sevens. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're reserving <laughs> yeah. eight, nine, and ten for stuff that's really great. And you know, you might get a seven. And I mean, I you know, I still get it to this day for certain games to which I gave a seven, which is not a bad review, but is it's taken, a good review. It's taken as a, as getting a as getting a C on your high school report card when you're uh-huh. used to, used to straight A's. <laughs> and it is a good review. Um, it's, it's, you know, good, but but not exceptional, whatever. The, but other, thing, the other thing. It's very frustrating to hear 
from two sources now at Microsoft uh, in response to ReCore that it that like the the public statements are at least implying, if not outright stating, that reviews are illegitimate and you've gotta you've gotta buy it and find out what's in it for yourself. You know, um, it's it's okay. like it's very frustrating. So I, I don't want to get. I don't want to get us off on record here, but I should say this. I played it. I finished it. And, oh, uh, and I got like, it's one of the, it was one of the bizarrely most achievement friendly games I think I've played. And I, like, <laughs> I, have, I have like 800 out of a thousand. It does. It points. about like candy. I don't, I don't know how I got him. I wasn't even paying attention. I wasn't even trying. <laughs> so, but I liked it. I would have been the weirdo on Metacritic that would have given it like a 70 or an 80. Uh, really? not, it, it probably, probably, I guess it's because, you know, since everybody knows better than I know myself, I guess it's just because I want clicks, guys. But that right. aside, <laughs> that aside, I uh, uh, no, I really, I really liked it. I thought it was well done. I didn't have, I, I did take a look at some of those reviews because I was curious to know why is. I was kind of startled. I'm like, why is why are people not liking this game? What okay. am I missing that's, here? That's interesting. So it's, it's good to hear um, that from somebody because I do want to I do want to play it more because I mean I want to at least play it to recapture the good feelings that I had in the first couple hours of it. Mm-hmm. I was I was yeah. disappointed to hear that essentially it's it seemed like what people were saying was the game gets in its own way. The game is so embarrassed about being the size that it is that it feels the need to pad things out at the end. Um, and I saw people saying this over and over and over again. They seem to be really backing it up with specific descriptions of gameplay. Um, but yeah. you know, it it certainly it you know it would not be the first time at all that you know I played something and had more fun with it than than other people did. But it's yeah, good. It's, to a, hear that. it's a it's a great reminder that you can have two completely paradoxically. Op, op, opposed viewpoints about the you know the quality of gameplay that are equally valid and completely right. incompatible. This right. could be this is you know and and then uh, yeah it'd be it'd be interesting to talk about maybe not on this podcast Chris but it'd be interesting to circle back and talk about record because I'm I'm staring at like a whole page of my notes and I'm wishing I'd written the review I ran out of time I was going to review it and then. Psh- Ran out of time to review it, so. Uh, yeah, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. I mean, geez, I've really I've, I've sunk like. 30, 40 hours into Paper Mario and haven't written about it because, I mean, it all, every, all these embargoes are all hitting. So let's move on to virtual reality in all its forms, or at least two of its forms, because we have the the PlayStation VR units, or Matt and I have PlayStation VR units that we've been using, um, and I've been to Oculus Connect. So there's just, there's a lot going on this week with virtual reality. Uh, Matt, you said, um, you were talking about a PlayStation VR game that you think is the best PlayStation VR game so far, right? Yes, and and really, I, I had to think about it out and across the spectrum of VR experiences I've had, and I think it's the most fun that I've had. Wow. Um, if, if you'll let me use the term fun as just a simple indicator of, of thumbs up, <laughs> uh, as opposed to a lazy we'll adjective. Thank we'll you, thank it. you, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a, a, a rhythm spectrum uh, it's a rhythm game in which you play a sort of a sci-fi space beetle <laughs> going down a, going okay. down a, t- doing the speed racer <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, carapace and scarab and wings that go up and everything. It's very, very shiny. And the tracks are like, I think I call them like these licorice whip things. And in the <laughs> background you have animations that look a little bit like if you've seen the pink Floyd movie, the wall, um, those, those kind <laughs> of, 
it's kind of crazy animations and things going on in the background. And your job is to kind of play a little bit like Guitar Hero. You've got, you've got indicators that are coming by and you have to tap uh, a button or, or hit a bumper or, or do something with the joystick that allows you to connect with that moment. And then that triggers like a thump, like a sound, like a rhythmic thing. And then that dovetails with the music track in the background. And the music tracks are very sort of fast slash speed metal meets power metal. Um, it meets electronica. It, 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 I don't know how to really describe it other than to say that the VR element, why? Cause you can play it outside of VR. Why do you need VR? It's so intensive to get to, to get a perfect run on these things that the VR experience lets you focus. It lets you eliminate all the distraction Ooh, in a way in, in a way that mm-hmm. I don't. I haven't. You know, it's such a focus intensive game. Um, I don't know. I it, you'd need to bring in a social scientist to hook me up to a machine to verify what I'm about to say here. But my, <laughs> yeah, because so, so also, don't trust it, me. <laughs> it does let you. Um... It, it lets you, and, and this is part of the design of the game also, but it lets you look down the highway. Uh, it lets you, like, glance upward and check out, like, what turns are going to be coming up. Um, so you can kind of prep yourself for, for the turns, at least, and see sort of the shape of the next few moments of gameplay. And you wouldn't really be able to do that in an intense rhythm game that's not in VR, because you're not going to take your thumb off the buttons to move to the right analog stick to move your point of view upwards and then move it down again. And then also hope that when you move your point of view around, you don't accidentally go too far, destroying everything and then pulling it and then pulling the stick back. You overcorrect and now you're not looking at the highway anymore, right? But in VR, right. you easily can just flick your head. You don't even think about it. You didn't think about doing it. I wasn't even think about the fact that I was doing it and that it would be impossible in not VR until you say about the, the focus element that it's very natural to just move your head up, look at something, and move it right back down and get it perfectly centered again to the point where you don't even notice it. Um, and that, you're, you're right. Like, it's, it, is, it is just a non-VR game in VR, but it is more than that, absolutely, from a design perspective. Maybe not even in a way that the the designer of the game may not even have you don't even anticipate it anticipate yeah. that exactly yeah 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 I, I i think it's i mean whether you so so let me back it up and say whether you have psvr or not i think it's worth your attention i think it's definitely worth your attention i think it's relatively inexpensive it's a, too it's, it's, it's like a 10 super bucks fun classic bucks? i don't know if i don't know how much money it is but it's a fun very very classic very ps2 era you know rhythm game in a good way um it's a classic classic rhythm action kind of experience i would i would venture to say that if you did hook me up that you would find that i probably play better mm-hmm. with the headset on like it actually yeah. and this this is one of those things i'd love for someone to do I'm sure someone is somewhere. Do that. Do that study and find out how much does VR actually that that ability to focus in on something really improve your game? Hmm. You know, depending on the game. So, yeah. But yeah. So P- PSVR. And you, you know, Chris, you have one. Jake, have you been able to? Nope. Nobody sent me one, and I don't have that money. <laughs> it's- it's interesting. I'll just say this about PSVR. I was expecting it. Well, I guess I don't know what I was expecting. Not for it to be as clear 
and and uh, it's sort of visually lucid as as Vive is because Vive is you know is is my favorite of the in terms of getting the clarity and such. But I guess I guess it's because because of the subpixel thing. They're 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 doing something with subpixels in the PlayStation Virtual Reality helmet and the screen, and they're also doing something with the optics, and they're they're in a relationship that even though the screen resolution in the PSVR headset is just a little bit lower than the VR, the, the Vive and the Rift headsets, I found that the image was more stable and clearer. You know, it actually looked, I don't want to say higher resolution, but it looked sharper to me. I prefer it to the other headsets. And when I talked to Richard Marks, uh, Sony's, um, you know, he's a senior engineer who worked on the iToy and then on the PlayStation Move controllers, and he kind of led up, I think he helmed, uh, uh, design on PSVR, he told me that th- that was his explanation for it. Because I said, what am I seeing here? Why is this? Why does this look clearer to me? Is it just psychological? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, Sub- you know... Sub-pixel maybe. definition? Yeah, sub-pixel definition. It actually, huh. you have more sub-pixels. That's the RGB, the red, green, and blue, and the pixels. And he said what that does is they're pushing out the, the blacks, the, the, right. the electronic mesh that we refer to as the screen door effect, which is when you stick a screen up close by your eyes, you tend to see the electronic black, you know, the black lines that are between mm-hmm. the pixels. And by focusing on, on better subpixel resolution, they are able to push out more of the blacks. And so you're seeing less huh. of that, that sort of blurriness that you get from the screen door effect. And so that, that even though they, they're slightly less lower on the resolution uh, side, they're actually maybe a little clearer or cleaner. It's hard to find terminology for this because I'm an idiot when it comes to <laughs> engineering terms. So, but yeah, so my, my take on it was that it's, it's the easiest for you to get your head in the zone. They have a really nice eye box, the eye box being that area that, you know, we all have different inner, what do they call it? Inner pupillary distance, the distance between our pupils, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. eyes are spaced a little different. Yeah. And, and PlayStation VR does not have an adjustment for that, I believe. Right. Like the, right. I know that the Oculus has, you can adjust the, the interpupil distance. And I think you can on the Vive as well. You can on the Vive as well. There's a PSVR software, there's a software setting that lets you go in and tweak ah. eye distance, but it's only if you go like, he made a point about that. that like only if you really, really have, if your eyes are really, I think in a, in a, in a, uh, in an <laughs> outlier <laughs> state, in an outlier Total state. Zero eyeballs. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Then, then you can go in and just, but yeah, the idea is that you put this thing on and then it only has a button in the front and a button in the back and a little crank dial to tighten as opposed yeah. to Vive and Riff's, you know, Velcro straps and strange twisty right. things and, and, and sort of that flappy flimsy kind of cowl or whatever that goes over, not cowl, but you know what I mean? The thing that goes over <laughs> yeah. your head mm. yeah. um, with, with PSVR. It, it, it is absolutely the best. Right, and I mean, I I look forward to seeing them refine this design in a later headset, or seeing other headsets that follow this design, um, because it it is the best. I mean, geez, after a few Oculus Connect demos, everybody comes away with a VR face. Something's been sitting on the bridge (laughs) of your nose. That's somebody. So Ben Cuchero was just like, "How you doing? You have VR face." And I look at him, and he's got (laughs) VR face too. I'm like, "Really has VR face?" but the PlayStation headset, I mean, the fact that it all just sits on your head and just so importantly that the ability to grab the, the eyepiece and move it forward and backward um, so that you can look down or around or look at your hands or do something outside of VR without mm-hmm. actually um, needing to, uh, to take the whole thing off um, or all the advantages that that really gives you. The only, the o- my only real problem with it is the blinders um, that it's got on it, they don't block out all the light, especially on the sides of my face and stuff like that. Mm. It really, um, 
I, for me, it doesn't, for my head shape, it does not work as well um, to block out light. Yeah, that's, I think that's one of the big challenges with uh, VR still is that even with all of the, uh, like the, inter- the IPP thing that we were just talking about, that there's still, like my editor at time had, had a similar problem. It wasn't on the sides. He couldn't quite get the, around the nose, was, was letting too much light in. He was getting too much from underneath. There's still so much variation. So like VR has, has to get to the point where it can accommodate, you know, any head profile yeah. in, in this. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. Human bodies are weird. So that's, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a real challenge. Right now, yeah. the constraint is, well, you know, the VR headset has to be a certain amount of size. because There's a ton of hardware that we need to put in here. But eventually it's going to be like glasses. You know what I mean? Like the hardware is going to get tinier, tinier, tinier. And then it's just going to be like putting on a pair of glasses. So, I mean, that's that's this is not to say there's sort of, uh, you know, um, this is not to say the problem is going to solve itself. Like people will have to really put themselves to it, but I know that the people who are working on this will, will put themselves to it. And I think well, they're going to solve that. Speaking of that, Chris Kohler, can you tell us anything about, did you get to try? I'm really curious to know if you got to try this, this new Oculus thing that didn't have any cables. No, in the back. I didn't because they didn't. I was just there on Wednesday before they announced it, but Peter is going to try it. So he's going to write about it. I'm sure uh, the Santa Cruz prototype which is yes. room-scale VR, but all the sensors are inside the headset. Um, so that you can walk around a room, uh, the headset knows where you are in the room, um, it'll make sure that you don't walk into any walls, um, but you don't need to set up lighthouses around your or cameras or whatever it is all around you. Um, so that, that, I think, is extremely interesting. I mean, that's, that's the future, right? It's, it's the... Yeah the tiny computer it's inside the vr headset it's a fully self-contained uh thing um where you're not tethered to anything um you know maybe you have vr on your pc but that's wireless too you know i mean that's we're all, we're just using i don't know what the i don't know what what is the what is the good metaphor here for like the stuff that we're using right now the stuff that we're using right now is like the gigantic you know cell phones of the 80s that come in a briefcase you know right. and we're all concerned right. about we're all concerned about like the design of the briefcase hmm. um like yeah. i i wish this briefcase were more elegant and felt better and in my hands as i carried it around um <laughs> you know and it's it really that really the design challenges are far beyond that um and so we're we're all using this really really what's going to be in the future, this ridiculous, creaky, ancient technology. Can you believe that you needed to, uh, to hook it up to a computer? Can you believe that you needed to have a, a wire? How could anybody do virtual reality with a wire? How could anybody do virtual reality with a 90-degree field of view? You know, that, that, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Sure, everything. Oh, go ahead. We're, yeah. we're just, we're, we're exploring. Yeah, I, I mean, I think stuff like the the... Santa Cruz prototype is what is going to have to be made before any normal people want to use this other than early adopters and tech people and journalists. It's going to have to be comfortable and simple and just make intuitive sense before like the, the before, before the broad populace is going to be like, okay, I'll try this. That's cool. Yeah. I th- yeah, I think that's. That, I think you're, I completely agree, Jake. I we had a we had kind of a roundup at uh, roundtable roundup of the VR headsets at time, and I I mean I'll well I'll just say what I voted for. Uh, PSVR was a runner up. 
my favorite VR headset right now, even though it's lower fi- lower fidelity and it doesn't, uh, you know, it, it require it even requires a specific type of phone is Gear VR. Yeah. Gear VR is is hands down. I mean, from not just from a cost standpoint. I mean, just getting out of the the cable game. Uh, I mean, I love PSVR for what it is. It gives me a, a more hi-fi experience. But you know, VR. That's John Carmack is not wrong when he says the future of VR. That's why I'm over here working on Gear VR. He knows he knows it's not yeah. the high end stuff right now, but he knows right. that in ten years that's where it's all going to be. And so. I don't think I mean unless there's a radical design in terms of tell. I mean, like I I don't think it's going to be uh, something you put your phone in. You know what I mean? Just because it's a pain in the neck. You have to give up your phone, run down your phone battery, um, you know, insert it into the thing. It's like, and also just because then, then you can't make tweaks to the design of the, the VR thing because it has to accommodate a phone. Then they update the phones and throw the thing away. I think it's, I think it's more of the self-contained using mobile hardware um, device uh, that has uh, compute power in it. That's, that's good enough. And, and again, like, that's the exciting thing about the powerful mobile chipsets uh, that are getting developed um, because suddenly um, heat dissipation and, you know, battery life um, becomes a, becomes a huge issue, not just for laptops, not just for phones, but for, for self-contained VR stuff and really just solving that problem of just being able to let you walk around um, yeah, yeah, they're positional tracking. You don't need to have a whole room to explore, but like it's nice to just be able to walk around in a confined space. It's mm-hmm. it's basically a shrinkage process until we get to the size of our eyeballs and have retinal implants. But then in the meantime, the thing that we're not, you know, I, I can't wait for us to be able to talk more about when we see whatever happens with Pokemon Go. Uh, the next is AR, augmented reality, is going to be in the middle of all this, and I mm-hmm. think that's. Uh, I mean, depending on how you define it, I had a debate the other day with somebody over, you know, our smartphones are kind of already AR-like. You know, what the Apple Watch that I'm wearing on my phone yeah. is kind of giving me augmented reality, you know, things, blah, blah, blah. So, and that's yeah. going to blow wide here pretty soon. And this, the VR headsets will be kind of going on a parallel track, but the, it'll yep. be a much smaller thing until, you know, they get small enough and in our eyes. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I would really, you know what would be great for a VR horror game? Because I was just thinking of, I was thinking of um, the, the PlayStation VR um, has a has a functionality where, because um, of course there's a camera pointed directly at you, um, with Batman Arkham VR, um, it said, hey, um, you know, this is a game about swinging your arms around and doing stuff, so let's just check to make sure that there's nothing in the room around you that you could accidentally walk into or bump into. And it, I'm in VR, but it shows me a picture of myself in the room um, and it says, is there anything around you near you? What's up? And so I was thinking like, Oh my God, wouldn't it be a wonderful VR horror experience that I never want to play to introduce, (laughs) to introduce the player to that idea of like, okay, well just make sure there's nothing around you that you could bump into. And then like five hours into the game, do another check. And then, overlay you know a murderer standing <laughs> behind you in the real world uh into that into that image like that, that would be great i would never want to play really that game. and i would i would probably uh destroy my vr headset um <laughs> <laughs> so would so would it be like the vr headset would be tricking you it would like it would like pretend to, to, to tell you that you were in a safe space and then and then trick you into moving into an object so that you, that you didn't think was there, and then it was yeah. it pretended it was like a murderer, and you bumped yeah. into your wall and you 
jumped out of your right, right, right. Skin. Or do an, do, an, do an augmented reality <laughs> game in which everything was yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you, yeah. you that played with your mind, so you didn't know what was augmented reality. It was real. Oh, Go sell the rights, Chris. Go sell oh, the rights. Geez. Oh man, I <laughs> do it. Do it before I publish this podcast, and you'll take the idea. I mean, it's it's a great idea, but it's also like a horrible idea. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> The worst thing you could do to somebody, um, people would die. People would die of a heart attack. Uh, <laughs> but you could do it. Um, and the thing, you know, that actually leads me into, I think all VR games need to tell you, like, does this game have jump scares or not? Mm-hmm. Um, is this game trying to scare you or not? Because I want to know that before I go into something. Because I did play Batman Arkham VR. And... It does start out very leisurely in, you know, in you're in Wayne Manor and now you're like on top of a building and the penguin is here and like, that's fine, whatever. But then it's like, you're in Arkham Asylum and it's like, uh, are things going to pop out at me and and do jump scares at me and try to scare me? And actually it does, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, I'd I'd like to know about this first because Mm -hmm. like. I really do get freaked out by, by VR scares because it really does tell my brain, like, this is real. You're in real danger. Um, I'd like to know if, like, if something is going to be a... If I can... Like, do I have permission to give myself over to the fantasy? You know what I mean? Right. Or do I have to constantly be reminding myself that, like, you know... Uh, it's not watch real. Out, yeah, that it's not real. Wasn't yeah. Oculus trying to do something with that? Didn't they have that like like this is mild to moderate to extra spicy or something or whatever yeah. it was? <laughs> um, I, I, just, yeah, I just want to know like is somebody going to come up from behind me? I think we have to like identify like what are the main potential um, things that would cause somebody. And it's really important, um, like you know, because you could really get scared and you could really destroy your VR headset. Like this is a real thing. Um, if we're gonna the more people buy these things, the more stories we're going to hear of people just really getting legit scared. And the thing is, the weird thing is anything can scare you because just somebody coming up from behind you, um, even if it's not a horror game, you can get scared by looking over your shoulder. And if something appears there that you don't Mm -hmm. expect, even if it's, even if it's a, a, a Garfield game, if you were to look over your shoulder and see John Arbuckle and he didn't know he was there, you can poop your pants. <laughs> so, I mean, like, uh, you don't have to be doing a horror game. John, why? That to yeah. <laughs> why, John? Um, so, I, I, we have to so, learn a so, little bit more and, and be able to kind of communicate to people a little bit more about, like, what's there. And, and you know, if you want a, a scary experience, that's great. VR can deliver that for you. But if you – maybe sometimes you want a fantastic experience um, – that's not a, a scary one. So I uh, yeah. go on, go on, Matt. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say really quick. It's funny that you mentioned Garfield because Garfield's Halloween episode thing, whatever it was, is, is both oh. my and now my son, yeah. my four-year-old's favorite sort of terrifying Halloween thing. It's really scary. It they should that in VR. <laughs> it is okay. scary. All right, it is the season. So, so. before we close things out, um, one more thing. thing. Yes, yeah, so I want to talk about Lone Echo, which I wrote a piece about. Um, it sounds rad. It is great. So I'll just, I'll just give you the basic rundown of why I think this is really cool. Because honestly, it is so, 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 so difficult to understand how cool this is by watching a trailer or reading a, or reading a story. Or really, quite frankly, listening to a podcast. Because 
I, everybody who's played it is like, oh my god, Lone Echo! And, and, but, like, I don't really see, like, the tweets or stories or discussion really gaining any traction at all. Um, and I understand why. So I'll explain to you what it is. And, and why you're, why you're gonna love it. It's by Ready at Dawn, which did the Order 1886, um, did some of the portable God of War games, um, now it's, but it's also, it is an Oculus Studios game. It's an Oculus first party game that Ready at Dawn is making. Um, it is, you are in zero G in space. You are a robot. Um, you know, whatever you could, you could have been anything, but it's a zero G space game. And the way that you navigate yourself around the spaceship and then outside in space on the hull of the spaceship or going from spacecraft to spacecraft, uh, through space, the way you navigate yourself is exactly how an astronaut would, which is to grab onto a nearby surface and push yourself off in the direction that you want to go. And just the tutorial, I was just, had a stupid grin on my face the whole time. Because it works, it's an Oculus Touch game. Of course, you have to use the touch controllers for this. But to just grab onto a surface and push myself to the next surface, and then grab onto the next surface and push myself forward, traversal, locomotion, is so much fun by itself. I could just sit in this game for an hour and just scoot around, you know, pushing myself here, grabbing myself there, pushing myself off here. And it's like you can you can climb, you know, you can really you don't have to push yourself and then float and then push yourself again. Like you can you can scrabble up a wall or a surface um by just by really you can go as fast as you want. Um and you can just go handhold to handhold, go bum 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 up a up a wall if you want to do that. Um and I just love it. It, it sounds like loved it. it sounds like it's it, it sounds you reminding me of the climb, but it sounds like what makes it because that's one of my favorite uh, alt experiences in VR, like over on the Rift and or, on the Rift doing touch, which which is not available yet, but I think it will be. But over on Vive, but so how is yeah. it? Can you talk about how it's different? Is it because the, I mean, the zero G was, stuff? Yeah, well, the climb the climb seems to want to make it really difficult for you to go places. Um, and it's mm-hmm. and it it uh, certainly I played the climb with a controller and that was not good. Mm-hmm. Don't play the climb. Oh with yeah, a no. Um, That's like playing Rush on, of Blood with a controller or something. You just like you know. maybe on touch climb is better. I have not played climb with touch, but with this climb seemed like okay. Well, you can only put your hands in certain places. It's not really mapped to your real body. It just felt fake. It just felt like a. It felt like I was playing a fake video game. This has total IK for your whole body. So when you you can look down at your robot body, and when you move your hand, it's not a floating disembodied hand. It is. Um, you you see your whole arm, and it's all connected, and it all works. Um, this just seems designed. Certainly, the tutorial on the initial level to just give you the joy of of free roaming. You can also you you have you have thrusters also um, that you can use uh, when there is nothing to grab onto. These are slow. They they allow you to be very precise, but it's not fun to use them to to move around. Um, and I think that's sort of deliberate because you want to not actually be using them so much. Um, but this really really just lets you go nuts. Um, anywhere you want to go, you can go. Uh, and you can go there as fast as you want to. You can grab onto anything. You don't have to grab onto certain specific handholds. It's not about navigating like a puzzle yet. I mean, there might be levels like that, but this demo is just like grab anything, 
push yourself off of anything. If you mess up, you can recorrect yourself. And the hilarious thing is, if you were to watch me in this demo room, because I'm standing stock still, and it's a, it is a it is a great solution for VR locomotion because I can go anywhere I want. I don't have to I don't have to do the thing where I teleport. You know, you don't have to all these things about like you know every, you don't you don't want to like. I can go anywhere I want. And I'm standing stock still. Um, and if you looked at me in the demo room, you just see me like moving my hands in front of my face, like a, like a rabid squirrel or something like that. Uh. You know? And it looks, and it probably looks really weird, but in my mind, I'm, I'm flying. I'm just mm. using hand movements of, of just sort of pushing with my hands. And it's just telling me that I'm just floating through zero G. Um, and and then it then it's like you go on the hull of the ship and it's like oh we have to repair this thing so go get a fuse so I have to float backwards and manipulate myself and not float off into space and grab a fuse and then go back to where I have to use the fuse and you have a you have a cutter a laser cutter um, and the way you activate it is the 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 button that activates it is on the inside of your right wrist so you have to reach over with your left hand and hit the button with your index finger. Um, but that means letting go. So you kind of have to stabilize yourself and it doesn't feel right to let go because you're in the vastness of space. So it's real fast. Like reach over, press the button, grab on again. Um, now you're cutting, you cut things away, whatever, uh, to reach certain things or free one of your, you know, compatriots whose leg is stuck. So you cut the, I tried, I tried cutting your leg off. <laughs> didn't work that way. What are the, you think you're playing uh, dead, dead space with yourself? I was just like, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. Um, there's That's no how time. Things work. Yep. Um, but that was not a solution. And then literally you have to get yourself into a transport vehicle that has an open top, like a space convertible. So, I mean, there's no, it's not like you press a button and your character jumps in. I mean, you literally clamber into this thing and get yourself seated in it. And there's a safety bar and you literally hold onto it with your two hands and it's all very analog. You know, it's all very real. Um, so yeah, it just, it goes to show you one, there's so much that can be done with VR and, and uh, especially with VR and motion controls um, in solving the locomotion problem, doing something that's way more fun than walking. Um, just, just brilliant. And so I really had a great time again, you know, it's just a demo, it's just a half an hour demo. I don't know how they're going to extend it out to a full game. I don't know how long the game's going to be. Really, don't know with these these kind of projects. But like, um, if you have a chance to try Lone Echo, you really should. There is no release date. They're just they're working on it. It's it's done when it's done. Um, it's a you know it's a high end project for uh, for Oculus Studios. But but that was the that was the demo to play at Oculus Connect, and that was when I walked away from going like, whoa, can I do that again? Very cool. I feel like it might terrify me because because Maybe. yeah because even doing zero G segments in non VR games kind of freak me out. So <laughs> can you? But fall you have off, this Chris? feeling of power. No, right. I mean, if you fall off, do you go like? Do you get to? Do you float and like watch this thing like disappear, yeah. knowing that you will never be able to come back to it and you're dead. Well, you don't Gravity. fall in zero G. So I mean, not uh, fall, you know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see what would happen if I were to let go and then thrust myself away from it and then thrust Ooh. myself into the vastness of space. I guess I'd die or, no. you know, well, I'm a don't robot. It, so Chris. actually I would just, I would just uh, eternally be floating around in space until my power ran out. That's um, depressing. Yeah, it is. Right. That's really depressing. <laughs> um, 
It sounds cool. Yeah. And, it, and it's different from, I, I, I'm trying to remember in a drift. Uh, it's, you're, it's very different from a drift in that sense, right? You, you, in terms of how you locomote yourself or? Um, yeah, because, it, well, a drift is all about like, you know, you, you have to use thrusters for everything. And, it, the, you know, if you don't do it right, the horizon's going to start spinning. You're going to start getting out of control. It makes it very mm. difficult. Like this game, this game, it doesn't. It clearly does not want traversal to be something that you have to struggle with. It mm. really wants you. Uh, certainly, for in, if from my from my perspective, it really just wants you to get in there and just start having a great time, rather than make the the zero g traversal be something that is a, a difficult puzzle for you to solve and master. Is this a? Did you say is this a touch launch game? It is not. No, they have no. no okay. They have no okay. release date. Yep. They are not talking about that at all. Um, one would hope that it comes out next year. Um, we'll but see. But they're, they're, they're not putting any kind of number on it. Yeah. Uh, Robo Recall is also not a touch release date game, but it's going to be first quarter of 2017, and that's what um, Epic's Bullet Train has turned into. Um, the game where it's a shooter, but you can also pluck enemy bullets out of the air and throw them back at the enemies. Um, that is now a... Uh, it's called Robo Recall. It is a wacky, funny game versus uh, robots that have rebelled, but they all say comedy lines and things like that. It's supposed to be, oh, supposed really? to be over the top. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> wow. That's cool. that's a change. That's, that sounds it fun. is a change, and it's nice. It has its own personality. It's not taking itself super seriously. Um, it's it's just more fun. I you know I feel like VR games like you want to jump in and just start really in, you know enjoying yourself. Um, fast because how long is your playstation going to be you know your your playstation um it's right. not like mafia 3 where it can have a five-hour prologue um yeah, i think it's, right. it's got to get good real real fast hmm. so anyway yes i did a lot of vr um that's just scratching the surface a little bit but um we we've already talked for way more than an hour um so i want to bring this to a close you've been listening to the game life podcast production of us here at wired uh it's been myself chris kohler your host um, and I'm going to uh, let my co-host tell you where you might be able to find them on the internet and or plug anything that they want to plug um, because certainly I've taken up enough time doing that. Uh, Matt? Uh, you can find me at, on Twitter at Matt Peckham, M-A-T-T-P-E-C-K-H-A-M or time.com. And Chris, since I don't think you plugged yourself, you can find Chris Kohler, I'll plug you, at K-O-B-U-N-H-E-A-T, Coben Heat. Oh, man, thanks. And I, again, am Jake Muncy at Twitter at J-A-K-E-M-U-N-C-Y. You can find uh, my writing a lot on Wired, though my review of Mafia 3 will actually be on Rolling Stone. And, and, and Chris will be writing about that for Wired if he, you know, spends... If I ever get one. Yeah, if he ever gets a copy. Oh, <laughs> uh, great. You're listening. I'll send it right now. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Yeah.